Hello and welcome to the Sellerman Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. Uh, so this time I'm speaking to a bit of a cheese hero. It's Sarah Appleby of Appleby's Cheshire, maker of that beautiful cloth-bound farmhouse cheese, um, sort of a jet delicate peach in colour, good kind of uh, minerality, great acidity, just one of the classic territorial British cheeses. Um, and I wanted to speak to Sarah actually more about her farm, in a sense, because those who know her cheese love her cheese. Um, but I was really interested to know more about the journey they're on at the moment there from perhaps arguably sort of traditional uh, dairy farming with, you know, a strong influence and elements of organic practice, moving towards uh, sort of regenerative, um, agri-wilding, working with nature, pasture-fed, these are all sort of the words that cropped up in our conversation. I was really interested to hear what Sarah had to say about that process, but also just just to speak to someone who is incredibly um, uh, open and engaged with the different possibilities and the different ways of doing things and endlessly kind of trying to improve and endlessly looking to make the very best, most delicious cheese uh, they possibly can. So it was great to speak to Sarah, but here she is, Sarah Appleby. I mean, we've been talking about it for a long time. So there was, you know, the factors, I suppose, with the, the business. We also sell liquid milk. So that had an impact with, with you know, liquid milk being so, oh gosh, just really a very difficult market to be mm. in. And we were never wanting to push for yield. It was always about the farm and stewarding it. Uh, and so it felt like a natural evolution. And, I'm an organic dairy farmer's daughter and sister, so I've always had that, I guess, a bit of a questioning as well. Why are we doing this? How come, you know, what's, why, 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 how come, what can we do better? Let's really analyse where we want to be in, in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, you know, when our children are, or when our children's children are grown up. What, what does this farming, this food production, mean to us um and uh, yeah we, we walked and talked and talked and walked an awful lot around around the farm and you know really opened our eyes to what what practices were out there what practices we really admired what practices we thought would work here in our um on our farm and we're really lucky that the farm is in the center and then out of it is like a cobweb of of grazing of grass and you know we had a bit of an epiphany like oh my goodness we we grow grass at the moment it's it's much more of a a monoculture than we would like we're trying to really push towards the the much more biodiverse grazing mm -hmm. but that's another step so the the step we've taken so far is to to you know make our grazing accessible in the first case <laughs> look at our genetics of our breeding so make sure that our cows are going to be successful grazers that they're going to be able to convert the grass into into milk and the right type of milk that we want for the cheese making so i think it's really exciting that people are taking that on as a as a way of doing things because you know I think there's a lot of scrutiny that, that dairy and cheese making is under, you know, from sort of environmental lobbies and, you know, animal welfare lobbies. And actually moving towards this model is really positive in all sorts of ways. And I think that scrutiny is right. I, I always 
say that if we can keep having conversations about where our food comes from, whether that's, you know, milk, cheese, butter, bread, meat, you know, the more people want to know, the more people who ask, um, and then the more farmers that can, you know, really answer those questions. Some of the questions are really difficult. You know, we, ideally we wouldn't want to be perhaps twice a day milking um, and having, to, you know, we take the calves, we haven't got calf at foot. Um, but, you know, being able to have those discussions about the commodity production of milk is really, really um, necessary, I think. Mm. I think it really is. I think um, the more people want to know about their food and where it comes from, the more we feel able to um, make it a business that's commercially viable. I don't like the word commercial, but, it, but it's got to be. And, and we want to survive in this model. We don't want to survive in a really industrial model. And, and I think that's, that's I suppose, the, the juxtaposition. And, 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 and that's why we're so energised by what we're doing at the moment a word that's cropped up in a lot of these conversations focusing because i've sort of started this talking to just talking about cheese and then it's sort of over the 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 lockdown actually sort of moved into this world of you know regenerative farming practices you know welfare sort of examining the process behind the cheese more in more depth and i think a word that crops up a lot is mindset and and you know you ask people what's the biggest barrier to this sort of change and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not investment, it's not technology, it's not knowledge even, it's mindset. And you sound to me like, would you say that you're, without getting yourself in trouble, would you say your mindset is fairly unusual in, in that it is looking to change and develop and, you know, it's inquisitive and, it, and you, you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm really lucky that I come from a, a, a family of dairy farmers that are of that mindset definitely that that want to question how can I do it better why am I doing this it this way Mm. can I read and learn and visit other best practices um, out there and can I make that apply to my farm or my you know my breeding my my crop um, my cropping my lays that's where we're a bit stuck at the moment with where we go from now with with our with our grass lays how are you looking to develop that because you're saying so in a sense you're sort of looking at the the animal first to make it ready for you know ready for this pasture fed thing but then but then how do you develop the the biodiversity within your your, your pasture well ideally but you become you have less animals per acreage um you know you become a much um i don't know you take a different approach to your um grazing platform so at the moment ours although it's brilliant they go out and graze they are grazing what is you know not there's quite a bit of rye grass and clover we have loads of the the hedgerows planted up with pollinators and we have patches of land that are are designated pollinators but how do you incorporate that into your day-to-day farming strategy and your grazing platform is you know it's much I don't I don't think it's harder because I'm such a positive person in that like but it's it's making it work uh, with less head of cattle and um, you know knowing that you're not going to be able to come back 
to that pasture for a much longer period of time. Um, there's some interesting projects going, but they're more with beef animals. Mm. Um, so, you know, they're able to let that grass pollinate, whereas at the moment we're grazing it down all the time. So it's not having a chance to pollinate. So you're really only having the grasses and the, and the clovers that are good at, I suppose, um, um, yeah, being grazed to, to the first leaf and coming back. Mm. But you're never getting that seed herd. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh, we'll get there. There's loads of, you know, pasture for life, um, dirt to soil guy, Gabe Brown. There's loads yeah. and loads of interesting people out there realizing that we need to apply it to dairy, you know, dairy farms that aren't just cheesemakers, that, you know, aren't just specialists, that how can we make this look more commercial? You know, there's loads of, there is loads of help out there, but it, but it's, it's really unpicking your whole business um, mm. to understand how we can make it with low inputs and low outputs, isn't it? It's, um, which is, <laughs> the ideal that's where we'd like to be the thing i'm learning as a cheesemonger and not not from a farming background at all um you know is how slowly everything moves that you have to be an you have to be an optimist i mean there's this image of farmers as these kind of you know in sort of novels and films as these sort of grumbling people that are always pessimistic and actually it's completely the opposite they might they might grumble about the weather say but they are fundamentally at heart optimists because you have to be like, you know, you lay a hedge that isn't going to be ready for 50 years. It's, it's incredible. I think we're, I think we're resilient, incredibly <laughs> resilient because I think otherwise the whole things like TB, you know, there's, there's constantly, you know, the, even the climate, uh, yeah, just, just constantly picking ourselves up off the floor and going, oh, well, never mind, never mind. What have I learned from it? <laughs> yeah. um, Go again. And then Joe, um, Joe Schneider calls me a, a misplaced optimist. <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> uh, he rang last week. He's like, I need some more of your misplaced optimism. What should I do for Christmas? I was like, name on cheese would be fine. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of picking yourself up and carrying on but then we're it is so fascinating and we are really blessed to be doing a job that is so interesting and you know I know two days are the same are they that's a real cliche for me is that you know how changeable everything is and yet you know day by day things change and, and can change radically overnight and yet the process is that you're talking about are long term you know you're not going to change that pasture overnight oh my god the patience needed mm. to you know, watch. So we've just we've just crossed with Montbelliard. So we've we've got these beautiful Montbelliard calves mm. crossed with our British Frisians. But there'll be another two years before the anywhere like in the herd, and then you know they'll have offspring. Yeah, yeah. You've definitely got to be be patient. So once let's let's stick with the optimism. Once you've nailed that biodiversity in your pasture. What's what's sort of the next stage? That's not presumably that's not the end point. What what would the next stage in the project be? Uh, uh, so I've been talking to Jen because obviously Havard and have gone to once a day milking, mm. um, and I know Paul went with Cow Club to Normandy and just came back with that. Oh my goodness! That um, yeah, I, I guess having a much smaller herd being able to do that once a day milking 
being able to have those pastures that are able, uh, you know, are, are reseeding themselves. Um, and I suppose there's a bit of linking up the dots, isn't it? We've drawn them out. We've got the dot to dot. Yeah. We probably just haven't quite, quite put the picture together. But then, you know, there's always more challenges, aren't there? There's always something else. I'm not, I'm not sure what our next... Well, I think we've, we've drawn the picture, as the, or drawn the dots. Um, the breezing will be really interesting, and mm. hopefully we can get that stable. Um, and then it's just the biodiversity of our, of our land, the whole looking at the soils again, because we, you know, because of the acreage, it's sometimes hard to, to pinpoint. And that's what we're working towards is right. Well, these, this cluster of fields is really different to the cluster of fields that's to the north of the farm. And I guess it's being able to not treat the land the same i think that's really interesting that you say that because that is a common theme that seems to come up with this idea of you know because there's this idea with organic that as long as you jump through certain hoops you are organic i think the interesting thing with regen regenerative agriculture is it is it's totally dependent on where you are and how you adapt to the specific environment and you're even talking to this you know to the degrees of you know, we're talking terroir effectively, aren't we? You know, you're sort of adapting to very specific areas. We make British territorial cheese, and I think we've slightly forgotten what territorial means, doesn't it? And that, that really is having that knowledge of your your terroir, your land. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I think that's really interesting. There's loads more to be done about soil. <laughs> I do like to take my spade and see count the worms uh yeah and we, we've got more to do with our trees and then i guess you look at you look at what other what other livestock you've got on the on the land as in how we can we've got well we did have pigs we've got them in the freezer now blossom but how we can incorporate that maybe we can have um some more pigs because we've got a bit more woodland that we want to um to look after and obviously we, we feed them the way and will you go down that sort of full that that sort of model that you see you know where you've got the the you know you've established your complex uh, uh lays and your you know your complex pasture and you know the cattle are kind of constantly on the move and then following in behind you've got you know the, the sort of the chickens grubbing around picking out the you know the bugs and things like that from the dung and the you know is it is are you sort of going towards that that sort of a model with the kind of multiple different areas of the farm working together it's so fascinating that reinventing the wheel isn't it so my yeah. grandma Paul's grandma you know Lance and Lucy that that mm. uh, founded here I know that they will be laughing in their graves <laughs> like, oh there we are <laughs> you know that we are going full circle Quite a yeah. bit. I mean, that's why we have the pigs, the chickens, um, you know, the, the proper mixed farming. Yeah. Was, you know, you've got the muck, uh, you know, that's really important. And we're talking a lot now about, you know, the sequestration. I can never say that word. It's a real tongue twister <laughs> of um, uh, carbon. And, 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 you know, that's, again, they were sort of ahead of their game without realizing i think the sort of the industrialization the modernization of 
not just farming, but life in general, has a lot to answer for in in terms of the way that, you know, the fact that you can hop on a plane to Australia and this is just, you know, there's all this, not you can at the moment, but, you know, the, the fact that the global emissions went down massively during global lockdown, things like that just indicate that what you're doing is finding a way to, you know, as human beings, we're very good at just sort of trying to control and mould nature to our ends in quite a kind of a an aggressive way. And actually, you're talking about a more symbiotic, a kind of a synergy between nature and agriculture that f- just feels right. I would hate to still be farming in a way that I didn't feel was, um, you know, I don't know, future proofing. I couldn't, I don't think I can, I don't. And um, we've got five children and I, I, I honestly think they probably won't farm the way we're farming. I, I imagine if they do, they'll take it one step further because I just think we, we really need to um, look, as you say, that symbiotic, that harmonious way of food production is mm. um, something that's oh, it's really important. I, I just think we, we, <laughs> we mustn't be blasé about it. Um, and I felt like our eldest, um, I've got some um, bags for the cheese because I hate anything. Oh, plastic is just there. So I said, oh, we've got these um, eco bags, but I think they come from Australia. And he looked at me and he went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, mom, thank you. Know, thank you yeah, Miles. I was like, oh, you're so right. You're so much more joined up. We, we are, I suppose, still a bit of that generation where it was so second nature, the industrial um, production of, of everything. Well, and it's quite, quite binary as well. It's quite a sort of binary way of being. It's, you know, it's sort of the, a, a them and us with regards to nature, whereas the sort of, I feel like the way we're going is a much more incorporated, and I'm not talking about, you know, plant-based or any of that, because I think there's major issues there There with air miles, for example. There's major issues with deforestation. So, you know, I think focusing in on local, focusing in on a kind of synergy is really interesting. You mentioned something else that I think also comes under scrutiny, the relationship between calves and their mothers, if you will, and, and this idea of calf at foot. What are the barriers there for, say, a cheesemaker? It's something that I think you have to really manage going into it. I think if you're suddenly expecting your herd to make what is quite a big change, um, I think sort of a a gradual um, understanding of your stock. So there's some cows that I would probably say, would say, what? I'm not going to, I'm not, <laughs> that's going to blow my mind. You're asking me to keep my carb on me, but then you're asking me to let my milk down in the parlor. Like, hang no. on, how's that going to work on a, on a stock basis? Um, at the moment, we're way too big. We have way too many head of cows to, and that is me, I'm never pessimistic, but I think you would perhaps look at it with, with say, you know, 10 cows to start and then gradually in increase it and make sure that you're doing it for the very right reasons because I think sometimes it can add more stress to the cow and sometimes you know not 
more stress as opposed to taking their cars off them? I don't know. I, th I, f I find that that can be um, hard. It's definitely not my favorite part. And, I, and as I said before, I'm a dairy farmer's daughter. I've seen it all my life, but mm. I still find it hard that they give birth and, um, and we take the calf off them. But um, saying that, some cows will, will absolutely not bat an eyelid. Um, and we try and keep make sure that that but that they've that they've licked and suckled there's a certain time again there's loads loads more than just a little scratch of the surface of this there's there's you know that bonding but then once they've got the bond then you break it is that more stressful mm. um you know is there some way that you can do it that that here's less stress but by having the carpet foot you are asking a cow to leave her calf at a certain time and come into the parlor, let her milk down, go back to the calf. They're not robots. I think you very much have to suss out how that works. And I'm really interested in finding out a bit more. There's the guy in Scotland. Yeah, the ethical dairy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I've chatted to him. He's really emotional about it. Really lovely guy. Mm. It definitely, definitely isn't a quick something that you go into. I think the challenge is the transition from one to the other. From a, a, a fully milking herd mm. to, to a carpet foot, which have to be something that you'd have to do really sensitively. And look at all your handling systems. You know, you don't want to be, you know, separating a calf and it being stressful for, for both for both of them and I, I think the way we're set up at the moment it is is um it would it wouldn't quite be a, a gentle sort of easy process I think as we as we journey along this sort of dairy farming cheese making path it is something that you know there's never anything to rule out is there there's always something to find out more about and see whether whether that could be something that's that can be incorporated in the business um going forwards yeah yeah and and you know as i said before one of the children might find that that's their thing and that's you know how they want to so so what's the what's the i mean jen spoke to me about a 10-year plan but obviously you know 10, 10 years is not actually that long amount of time in in the life of a farm and particularly not if you're talking about farming for the next generation What's what in your ideal world? Have you got a, a sort of a, a, an ideal farm in mind, or are you kind of continuing on this sort of? It's a you know I hate to use the phrase journey of discovery. It all sounds a bit X factor, but you know it, it's this. You, you've got a plan, a planned route, but you're also constantly sort of you know looking at the peripheries and seeing what else there is out there. Yeah, no, that I would say that's absolutely right. That I think when we sat down four years ago, made and made. The plan it felt quite sort of revolutionary for us, and actually, we're now you know nearly halfway through, and I think we are starting to say, well, hang on a minute, we've probably done more in a shorter space of time than we thought we would. So, what is next? What can we do? Whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else, whether it's uh, you know what what else can we learn? um uh, and and implement what what are going to be the you know where's I, I the bottom line is you know making our cheese absolutely delicious 
Um, so we're always looking at the milk and how we can produce it better. Um, and improving our stockmanship. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be the, the, the grasses, the, the lays. Uh, and then, you know, maybe ask me again in 12 months and there might be something else. Oh, goodness, you know, we've read about that. We might find that we do go fully organic or, or you know, are we going more holistic um, anyway? Um, so, yeah, yeah, maybe we'll make our own, <laughs> we'll make our own way. So the, the future is shrouded in mystery. I quite like that, but that you're, uh, you know, you're sort of, you're looking to see what's, what's out there all the time. Yeah, and not that we're, you know, I would tell you if I, if I, if I knew, but I think, I think we didn't expect to have sort of achieved so much and, and to have loved it. So I think we were expecting it to be, oh, I don't know, a bit more of a, of a challenge, but we're really blessed. And actually that is what's fascinating, that the land and the cows have almost said, phew, <laughs> you've listened. Mm. Um, and I love that. I love the fact that it actually, what, why were we thinking this was going to be hard when actually it actually is the most natural thing, isn't it? To allow your cows to become grazers, to, to study your land. It is the most natural thing. And why, why were we thinking it was going to be a battle when it's not? It's, it's merely being led by your, it's merely listening, isn't it? Putting your ear to your ground and listening instead of trying to mold a, a, a farm to, um, to suit our needs. That was Sarah Appleby there of Appleby's Cheese. Uh, really great to speak to Sarah. Uh, really interesting to hear what they're up to on the farm. Uh, have a look. Uh, if you're on Instagram, have a look at Appleby's Cheese. Uh, that's Appleby's and then cheese, all one word. Uh, have a follow, have a look. Um, Sarah's really good at documenting what they're up to and what they're doing and, and just follow their journey there. That's really interesting. Um, similarly, uh, if you're not on Instagram, just go to their website, applebeescheese.co.uk. It's fascinating. And if you've not had Applebee's Cheshire before, just go and grab some. Go and grab some. It's in the Neil's Yard Dairy um, collaborative box they're doing with Jamie Oliver. They say British cheesemakers uh, boxes. Um, get yourself one of those. Support British cheesemaking and support Sarah and her family farm where they make an amazing cheese. And sounds like they're moving into an amazing period of farming on the farm. Uh, so thanks for listening to the Sellerman Podcast. The Sellerman Podcast is produced by me, Sam Wilkin. If you want to know more about Sellerman, go to Sellerman Sam on Instagram and Twitter or check out the website, selliman.co.uk.